0: Good afternoon everybody and um, welcome to today's uh, professional development webinar, um, Getting Ready for Peak. We will be looking at what uh, retailers and e-commerce businesses can do to get uh, ready for what is uh, possibly going to be a rather unique peak season this year uh, given the current circumstances. Uh, Today's event has been hosted by the Fashion Network and Today's partner and sponsor are ShopDemise who are product feed optimization specialists who you will hear from shortly. Uh, Just a couple of kind of like house sort of uh, things. So if you are watching this on YouTube at a later date, then please feel free to click like and subscribe. If you're watching it live on YouTube today. Um, Unfortunately, the the chat facility on YouTube isn't being monitored, so your questions uh, won't be answered. What you'll need to do is find the link on Eventbrite and come and join us here in the Zoom session. Uh, If you are here in the Zoom session and um, you would like to uh, leave a comment or a question, and we do encourage these sessions to be as interactive as possible. So please keep comments and questions coming. Uh, There are two ways of doing that. The first way is using the chat facility. Um, and, like I say, pop any comments or questions there. Uh, the other way is actually raising your hand, and that will allow us to turn your, your mic on and you could be able to speak to our panellists directly. So that's entirely up to you, what you feel most comfortable with. What I would say though, if you've got really, 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 really long and convoluted questions, please just put, put your hand up and let me turn your mic on because it's a lot easier than uh, trying to get me or one of the panellists to read out um, loads and loads of text. So. There you go, so that's how you can interact with uh, the panelists today. Uh, what will be really useful for us as well, if you don't mind doing is just for all of those out there listening, if you can just pop in the chat box now, um, where you're from in the world and what job role you do. So if it with me, I'd say Manchester um, Fashion Network director. If you could do that for us, that'll be really interesting just to see uh, who's here really um anyway uh without further ado i'm just going to introduce today's speakers so we've got quite a good lineup today we've got uh we've tried to balance it out so we'll get people from different perspectives so we have uh, john cave who is director of shop demise um and john uh, is from a marketing background you'll hear from john shortly because he's going to just uh, give us a quick introduction about what shop demise do um uh, daniel uh unfortunately is, um, or fortunately uh, has turned into claire um daniel and his wife have just had a baby today so he couldn't make it but uh, Claire Muir his uh, his colleague and I know Claire well and she's equally uh, qualified to talk on a uh, topic of uh, uh, retail logistics so thank you Claire for standing in last minute for us that's brilliant now Claire does have a background in fashion as well as fashion logistics so, so um, and she's uh, a heap of knowledge of uh, uh, we've done a few sessions for us in the past and then we have Fiona Brown from co-founder of 10th floor uh, Fiona has a buying background um, Fiona was uh, recently at uh, Public Desire um, and then now set up 10th floor. Um, but she'll be sp- sort of speaking uh, on the topic from a sort of trading and buying background. And then we have uh, Hilary. So, Hilary uh, has also got a marketing background, a marketing e commerce background from Chandot Marketing. Uh, was recently consulting for Forever Unique. Um, and I'm sure she'll probably talk a little bit about that. So we've got two people from a marketing background, stroke e-commerce, one from a logistic background, one from a buying and trading background. So we're hoping to be able to cover off this topic from all angles. Um, now, John, I'm just going to hand over to you um, uh, again. Thank you very much for supporting this webinar. Just tell us a little bit about what Shoptimise do, if you can, so the audience know.
1: Yeah, Shoptimise, we're, we're a product feed optimization. Platform. So we offer software or or SaaS software that helps you optimize your product feed and syndicate your products out to Google Shopping, uh, affiliate networks, Bing, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. So, kind of our expertise is very much in marketing of products as a specialism. And I'd say probably 85% of what we do is very much, very much centered on Google Shopping.
0: Thank you very much. Um, I'm just looking through the chat box, Nift, and if you guys want to do. And as, as usual, we've got people from all over the world. Um, Manchester, UK. We've got someone from Mississippi, where my uh, some of my ancestors hail from. So welcome there from Mississippi, um, um, Algeria, um, London. So we've got quite a, a quite a quite array of different sort of like job roles as well. So. Um, hopefully, we'll have a good session. But, like I say, guys out there listening, please feel free to keep your questions and comments coming. So, we want this to be as informative and useful for you. Um, before we go into the first question, I'm just going to uh, publish the first poll. So, uh, the first poll is well, we'd like to know what you're most worried about with respect to this peak coming up. So, I don't know if you guys on the panel can vote. I don't know if you can see that. But to the audience, if you could just uh, let us know. Uh, what your key or your biggest worries are at the moment with regards to this um, season's uh, peak. It's sort of neck and neck at the moment. Oh, no, you've got... Oh, well, it's sort of fluctuating a little bit. Uh, I'll give it a few more minutes just to allow people to just answer the questions and then I'll publish the poll. Uh, So it's looking like it is stock levels. Have a look it's interesting um so and there will be some comments in chat as well so it's a quick look in chat what people are moaning about um, black. here we go okay guys so anyway um i'm just gonna uh, kick off um well tom while you've still got the mic then just let us know um can you just sort of outline what the key dates then uh, that retailers should be focusing around for sort of this quarter's peak if you like
1: yeah, well, I guess there's, there's, there's a way I would look at it, and then there's probably a, a way Fiona would look at it and Claire would look at it. But kind of from, from the, the, the strategic part and the planning part really should, have, should start now if it hasn't already started. Christmas gift buying will pretty much start to climb from September. We'll have our Black Friday and cyber sales peak. What will be interesting this year is to see how early or late those sales start it usually does work like dominoes once one person goes then everybody else follows and then that period between when we go back to full price after black friday before the boxing day sales kick in but for us kind of planning has already started and strategies have already started but i guess from a from a buying point of view fiona when does this when do all these start for you
2: um, well obviously your key date in terms of like landing your stock like your seasonal party stock from a fashion perspective would be kind of middle October um, with the excessive shipping times from China at the moment and bearing in mind like I don't know 60-70% of what we're talking about comes from China Um, you really have to have your orders placed by June so everybody would have everything down at this point and yeah for a lot of people stuff would be starting to to leave now so X Xing China at the moment. So it's really just making sure that like from a buying perspective that every all your boxes are ticked and you've got all your production samples and yeah that um that everything is ticked and yeah getting ready to leave really.
0: So when we're talking about peak then uh, John or Hillary actually are we, are we just talking about Christmas and and, and Black Friday or is there more to it than that? Hilary Way
3: more in my view. Um, obviously, Black Friday gets, well, uh, you say it gets bigger. It's, it's waxed and waned a bit, but last year's was, was crazy big. Um, so you've got Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and that's obviously back end of November. Um, you've also increasingly got things like Singles Day, which I was really surprised about has, has made the jump. And um, the Hot Group did quite a bit on Singles Day, uh, which I think is a Japanese event that has hopped over here. And you've also got Halloween as well to think about. When I think about fashion apparel as well, you've got you've got Halloween. You need to think about which is bizarrely a day when people, increasingly adults, want a particular outfit or a particular look. Um, and then obviously you've got all of the stuff around party wear and seasonal apparel that that really kicks in. I mean, I, I was out uh, yesterday and everybody now has got coats in. Um, so you know, you're starting that you're starting that autumn winter slide now and. You know, people like to buy their party wear. By October, people have got plans of where they're going. So that's really starting to kick in by that point.
0: Just doing a quick Google on Singles Day. It's, 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 I think it's nice. from a Chinese thing, yeah. but yeah. Sorry. Just as a quick case we don't get any rants in the chat box or later yeah, apologies on. Apologies
3: uh, if I've got that wrong. I,
0: I, I, I'm i sorry. That's not a problem. Um, is, obviously, because we've got a global audience, is there anything other, obviously we've mentioned single days, is there anything else within that period that we should be mindful of um was when well, we pretty much covered most of that off
3: i think, to I think me, so. those are the key dates for me sorry
1: no, sorry, no John. yeah I, I was just i was gonna agree with hillary i think singles days probably is the biggest sort of thing and that, that big jump that that we've seen kind of move across and loads of people took great advantage of it last year i was actually just going to ask Hillary a question of do you last year we obviously we didn't have the party where do you, do you think people are going to double down on that this year? Now that we hope and hopefully we'll still be allowed to have our Christmas parties and enjoy the season a lot more.
3: Oh, it's like, so I think they'll double down on it if they can. It's you know there'll be questions around availability and there'll be questions around getting the product in. Um, but as we were talking about in the pre the preamble, you know, never has there been a greater. It seems fascination for colour and sparkle and, you know, the traditional colours for autumn, winter, where your palette is typically, a, you know, there's a lot of black is always around for party wear. I reckon there'll be far less black for party wear this year and far more of the real brights. Um, and I do think retailers will double down on that because I think people are absolutely sick to the back teeth of lounge wear. Um, yes, I think there will be a spread of lounge wear, of course. But, you know, colour will be there. Like, it's not been there for a long time. And I think where retailers can, they will they will absolutely make hay. Um, and so I think there'll be a lot of party wear out there early.
2: Yeah, I think that's um, the key word, is that it will be early. Because I think people are trying to just manage the risk and probably bring it in now when they know people are celebrating. Um, because the whole thing about placing so much up front is heading your bets as a buyer and knowing, you know, you've got to, you've got... It would be amazing to place all of this based on the way things are selling at the moment. But, you know, nobody knows if there's going to be another lockdown late autumn. So it's, it's tough when you're a buyer having to manage those decisions.
3: It's, um, it's really so it's, as a marketer, managing the discount and managing, how you, managing the customer journey, because it's so hard to present a, a dress in September as a £150 dress and then being forced to represent that same dress as a £50 dress um, very quickly afterwards because that discount cycle is so fast
0: yeah of course and yeah. um, someone's also mentioned in chat that Diwali is obviously a, an opportunity as well because um, I, I guess when you're online you know your audience can be wide and vast um, but before I want to bring clearing in a minute but, and I want to talk about sort of some of the challenges that Peak uh, normally throws up. but before I do that Fiona tell us about the heels <laughs> you just educated me earlier Go oh, in terms
2: of like, yeah, we were just saying um in the conversation before we went live because I'm a footwear. Well, I was I have my own label now, but prior to that, I was a footwear buyer and just how high heels obviously switched off through the pandemic, but now um that lockdown has been lifted, people are just going wild for shoes and heels and the higher the better. Um and as Hillary was saying, like color, nobody can keep color in stock. Um and I supply a lot of these guys. Um, I have a footwear supply business as well. And this is the feedback that I'm getting, is people just want more and more like heels, heels, heels. It's just like, it's gone the complete opposite. Um, so it's it's great to see, um, because I think everybody is just fed up in terms of like, that we've all been inside wearing jog wear and slippers for so long, but it, it feels like a
0: natural progression. And Hilary, you, anyway, you were saying it was almost like a post-war 20s wasn't you now it's color color yeah, I think trends I think
3: people just want to people are you know have you know that dopamine hit of a new purchase new color freshness in your wardrobe and thinking that you're going to go out and I think people are have had a really difficult year and a half and for certain parts of society they've not gone on holiday they haven't spent hugely because they've been locked down and whilst yes there's been furlough and people may have you know not not had bonuses and things like that actually there is a segment of society who are not that poor post-pandemic and have disposable income and of course the likes of Klarna and um, all of those different payment mechanisms are all over the place now so you can offset your your immediate payment and I think people just want to get out they want colour they want vibrancy they want to feel like the the past two years are behind them and they can you know party as Prince said like it's 1999 which (laughs) you know is a year I remember I am that old.
0: And this is something particularly really unique to this year isn't it and, and the whole post-pandemic uh scenario really um i want to come on to sort of like the challenges now um for and i'd like to ask everybody this so i'd like to know the challenges from a marketing point of view from a trading point of view but we'll start with clear from a logistical point of view can you just talk us through what in a normal year the normal challenges are from a logistics point of view but then also can you just tell us about what the things that have happened in this year? Because I think a lot of people still don't realize that there's an issue with no containers being in China and lack of lorry drivers and all that sort of stuff. So do you want to just outline some of the key challenges a normal year and and what this year is like?
4: So for for logistics in in the UK and and USA, maybe to a lesser extent Europe, Black Friday is kind of peak, Um, really. It's where it really starts. Um, so we have a kind of a cascade of challenges which start um, really about you know, making sure you've got the freight capacity, then making sure that you've got your outbound carriage capacity really by the end of October, because since Black Friday started in about 2014, um, the British carriers in particular started to be really, because they fell over that year, they're, they're really cautious about not let, not allowing you to go to, to put more volume on their vehicles. And you said you were going to your forecast had to be accurate down to a daily level Uh, and then you've got challenges with getting the people in that are trained to to pick and pack product and to to deliver product Um, and then you've got challenges around making sure you've got all the right consumables so there's really a cascade of deadlines depending on what the lead times are starting from in a normal year probably starting as fiona mentioned about now when you're starting to put your goods on the water and that's always, you know, we would always sort of have a post-peak review in about February and we start planning for the next year, um, you know, making sure that we're managing different processes to focus on getting that customer experience, whether it's getting product to uh, to stores or, or to consumers. Um, and yeah, it's always been interesting. And, and last year, of course, was the first year of COVID, which threw up an awful lot of strange behavior. So forecasting, which is, you know, always a, a dark art anyway, became impossible and we ended up going into lockdown too so everything went online again um, so that that really sort of threw up a different pattern so previously um the, the peak year would kind of be it yeah, build up a little bit then there'd be a dip but everyone waited for the discounts and then a massive spike around black friday and then it would calm down over the, the weeks towards christmas but last year the, the marketing actually started earlier and i think people started shopping differently um, and obviously people had to shop more online. So the, the, this, there was a big spike, of course, Black Friday, but it was this, the, the Black Friday volume was actually lower last year than it was the year before, um, certainly for, for our clients. But the overall volume, if we look at the whole of November and December, especially for e-commerce, the overall volume was actually significantly higher. I'm expecting that to happen again this year, um, that the, the marketing will start even earlier. Um, obviously, last year we had Amazon Prime Day, um, delayed until um, until October, I think it was. So people started buying at discount level a little bit earlier. But the, 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 the particular challenges this year around the supply chain are, yeah, you mentioned that for sea freight, the containers are in the wrong places. So because of the way that COVID panned out over the last 12 months, all the shipping containers, or you know, a, a lot of shipping containers are in the wrong place. They're in Europe and the USA. Whereas the product which needs to be shipped is in the Far East and the boats which the product needs to be shipped on are largely in the Far East. But you can't ship the product on the boats without the containers. So there's been a huge, very painful disruption in, in sea freight at the moment, which has included a massive price hike. We're talking like a five times higher prices for a sea container because availability has just crashed. So supply and demand has pushed the prices up. Uh, but we're also still seeing continued disruption in air freight, because there are fewer flights going, uh, which means that air freight is difficult to get hold of. So the price is still higher there. There's still COVID surcharges, uh, and that's both for inbound goods, but also if you're shipping uh, outbound goods internationally, if your customers are across border, then um, that's tricky. And of course, for, for the EU, we've got the whole problem with a shortage of drivers, or European drivers being, finding it difficult to get here to the UK. So, from a from a freight point of view, we're getting hit in every possible way except for train freight, which right. not an awful lot of our stuff goes on train freight.
0: Okay. And John was asking in the pre session that he was asking whether um, we're going to see gaps on the shelves this Christmas.
4: Yeah. I I think so. I think we're already seeing that some brands and retailers aren't getting the product they want. So so people are their stocks they're getting stock outs or they're getting the wrong kind of stock. Um, so that's going to have an impact on sales. Um, it, we talked about you know, some, you know, people, some supply chains are so complicated that you might be able to get one a bottle in the components for say a beauty cream, but you can't get another component, which means that the, the, you know, the pump action spray, for example, which means that beauty products are gonna be really impacted. Um, and I think also some, some products are just not going to be able to justify paying five times more for their logistics. So they're just not going to ship at all so yeah so we are definitely going to see an impact on the type of goods that are selling an impact on sales and stockouts because of the the, the problems in the supply chain
0: Um, what about you from a marketing point point of view what sort of challenges are you you facing at the moment and when do you normally face when it comes to peak and how are you preparing for this particular peak
1: yeah i think our, our challenges are pretty taken away you know everything Claire's just discussed there our challenges are the same every year it comes down to to planning and I think one of the things that a lot of clients that, that we work with there's not an awful lot of planning on their part they're just waiting for that for their first competitor to go into discount and then everybody just kind of follows in behind otherwise that like their sales will drop while everybody else does and I think that the fashion and apparel sector with discounting is something that it's been used so much over the years that there is almost kind of an awareness of when to wait that certain products will go into discount. People wait to get that email marketing or see the sales kick in before they'll actually shop. And there's a lot there's, there's not a lot of retail retailer loyalty left. They're just waiting totally. for those yeah, waiting for the sales to come in. And people can go into discounts too quickly. Or one of the things we always see that One of the biggest mistakes we always see is is that blanket discount where they'll discount everything and put everything into a sale. And then when we come out of that discounting period and you can start selling at full price again for a few weeks in the run up to Christmas that they've sold through too much of their top selling products, too much of their core products. And it affects the margin and revenue they can make after the Black Friday discount period. And it has a bigger impact on them doing that than the money that they were able to collect during Black Friday. So kind of we spend a lot of time trying to get people to to kind of hold steady, you know, hold their nerve, don't go into discount or, or plan it to a sense where they can be very strategic about it and understand what they can discount and what to give away. That tends to be our biggest challenge is going too hard too soon. I'm Have sorry. you found,
4: John,
3: sorry, just a, can I just ask John a quick question, actually? Have you found that the Google algorithm update, the whole page experience update, has had a significant impact at all? So just for those on the, on the chat and who can see, there was a big, well, supposedly big Google algorithm update, which is all about user experience and would be penalizing retailers who weren't showing their e-commerce wares to the best of their ability. Have you seen any impacts of that at
1: all, John? Not yet. No, i have been totally honest. We've not seen a huge impact from that yet. And I, in one way, to, it's Google. that We tend to find that was Google's way to encourage people to give more data, but not necessarily for the user's benefit, but the Google's benefit. Because they desperately want to see more data behind every single product, whether it be, you know, cost of goods sold, the GTIN, everything else. So they can provide information easier into the google shopping tab itself we haven't seen a huge impact on what on on organic from from that point of view no
3: interesting Uh, yeah i mean i read loads about it sort of from april or may onwards saying that you know any sites where page load speed was slow or you know things like you know there wasn't mobile optimization in place and that would be really penalized um which i guess would affect some of the independence more than it would the the real global businesses that um you know we've got represented here today i see there's people from nasty gal and and also some misguided folks i think it will affect perhaps independence more because they haven't got the chance to put that tech onto their site that will help them with that algorithm update but it's, it's an interesting one because i know that that is potentially something that is going to affect peak
1: absolutely but i think a lot of independence as well certainly in this sector flock towards shopify And when things can be done at just kind of a platform level, it's quicker to apply that to lots of independents at the same time. Whereas you will have some major retailers who, because of their size, and they've got to pass things through so many different departments to make these changes, they can sometimes be slower as well.
3: That's a really fair point. And that's one of the reasons why, personally, I I love Shopify as a platform, because it's just very... um, it's very stable and it's very easy to pack, you know, it's very easy to, to make changes um, quickly and without having to employ a raft of developers. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I want to see how this, the, this particular algorithm plays out really. Um, it'll be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, no, I will bring you in then um, from what sort of challenges from a buying and trading point of view, then what sort of challenges uh, do you face uh, around peak normally and, and, and in particular this, this, this year as well?
2: Um, I think one of the biggest challenges at the moment is trying to capitalize on trends and forecasting trends because normally traditionally if you land a best-selling style and it's a new trend at this time of year you have enough time to repeat and get back into it for peak trading but because obviously the shipment times and all of um, the issues in relation to containers that has a massive knock-on effect and everything is like really most retailers are doubling their traditional shipping times at the moment from China. Like it's normally six weeks, but most people are allowing 10 weeks. So it's really difficult if you get into a line, for example, you land a new trend and there's always going to be something that emerges for autumn winter that will kind of, it will happen in the next four to six weeks. And there tends to be like a trickle down effect in terms of, let's say Zara are the market leaders. They will they will land something, whatever it is. Like if it's gonna be like turquoise or, or green is like an amazing color at the moment that something becomes quite apparent and then everybody tries to jump on. But because of what's going on in the marketplace in terms of logistics, that makes that really difficult, difficult and challenging. Um, I think in addition to that, obviously, with the lockdowns and whether there is going to be another lockdown makes it very difficult to buy and plan for traditional party wear. And as I was saying, like high heels, they're amazing at the moment, but it's just kind of hedging your bets as to whether that will continue because we could be back in the same situation again if if there is any kind of another lockdown.
0: So what you're saying really is obviously the big challenge from a buying point of view is obviously reacting to the trends, but particularly at the moment not just with trends going all over the shop because we've got this post-World War 120s colour boom or whatever. There's all the things to do, the logistics and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's just confounding this. Yeah.
2: Massively so. And even like if you think about what's happened across the high street, so many um, so many businesses have been acquired by other businesses and that in itself has a massive knock-on effect for those businesses that have acquired the smaller businesses, where they all of a sudden have acquired extra stock. Um, So that means for them that causes a delay in terms of what them trying to clear out of that stock before they can take other stock in. So I've heard of buyers who have been like basically told that they can't buy for the rest of the year because they've acquired all of this extra stock. Um, Let's say from where they've had to um, take stock from other retailers that may have collapsed. So yeah, the logistics side has a
4: huge knock-on
0: effect from a buying perspective. There's smirking and smiling and nodding there?
4: <laughs> yeah, we. Both, I mean, the, the 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 demand for warehousing space um, because of lockdowns and excess inventory not being able to sell it's just been it's been huge. There's there's a lot of shifting around of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and in the pre-chat, we were talking about we were talking about how you view other teams within the whole econ setup and you know i can see hillary smirking a little bit in that. what kind of I don't want to say i don't want to say what annoys you about the other teams but what annoys you about the other teams <laughs> 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 um you know from from a marketing ecom point of view what annoys you about sort of like logistics and the buying teams or whatever can you can you sort of just give us some insight on that oh,
3: it's so it's such a tough one and it you know I think almost when you're working a big retailer or a small retailer with where you've got these separate teams, you're almost set up to comp, not compete, but have difficult relationships. Because, you know, as a marketeer, you're driven your KPI are demand generation and you know, profit generation and bringing people to the website, you know, clicks, sessions, conversions, et cetera. But of course, that has a knock on effect into the buying teams, into the logistics teams. And, and so you've got a budget you've got to hit. You've, your buyers have already bought the product. So you've, you've darn well got to get rid of the product. <laughs> um, you've got to move it through the business. You've got to make sure that you optimize the, the amount you can achieve for it. So you don't want to hit the discount button too soon. But then you're looking over at logistics and thinking, hold on a minute, I've just done an event. I've got people you know, desperate to buy this stuff. I know it's in the warehouse, but for whatever reason, it isn't showing up on the system. And that's frustrating from a tech point of view. Um, and I think it's, as, as you rightly said, Claire, these, we need to be better friends, both I think sometimes marketing and buying get pitted against each other, but equally the commercial teams versus the logistics teams get very pitted against each other. And actually it's a really important thing to walk, walk in each other's shoes a bit. It's
4: a really, it's, you know, it's a tough time. Claire, do
0: you wanna sort of come back on that bit?
4: absolutely I think especially for yeah for me marketing and operations need to be best friends because mm-hmm. obviously every every conversion somebody has to to physically do so if uh, if, if we yeah, if we have access to the marketing calendars and we're working together you know what kind of uplift do you think this will have and you know and when is this going to go live and if we don't have a, you don't obviously you have to be a bit responsive you don't know what your competitors are going to do or what the market's going to do so you have to build that in but the more you can work together the better the Overall um, end user experience and therefore retention is going to be um, the, the, the more able that operations are to keep up with what's happening. Um, so that I mean, ultimately, that that means that the marketing money is spent well if, if the customer has a good experience and they come back again. But yeah, I mean, in my uh, experience, long experience over the years, you know, we do um, often find that not often, but regularly find that people forget to tell us stuff. So you know a campaign will go live or or we'll be told that we're definitely not doing something and then they do do it and uh, it, yeah it, it's um it's can be quite alarming when you're on the on the ground trying to respond to that but that's the key marketing and operations need to be best friends and close together uh, all through the year but especially from now right through to the middle of december i think
0: and and I, sorry
4: I, go on I, and
3: i do feel feel awful when You know, marketeers, uh, we see a a competitor do something and we have to react or we you know, those those are really tough times. And then then you talk to your colleagues in logistics and 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 operations and say, you know, I'm really sorry, but we kind of our hand has been forced. Everybody else has gone. We need to go. Um, And it's about having the conversations, as you say, as early as possible and being and and trying to have have not an abundance of meetings, but certain meetings that just say, okay, here's what here's our intention. And this yeah. is our you know best case scenario of what the intention for peak looks like. But actually, we all know that this is probably within a, a 20 or 30 percent tolerance of what's actually going to happen.
4: Yeah, and there's nothing that can't be that can't be fixed with best endeavours, you, know, you know. Even if you're finding that you're going to worst case scenario, 50% off sale and next day delivery that you weren't expecting, god you heaven and for forth Um, but you you can still manage and you can still do something even at that late stage to to get the customer experience and the customer expectation and manage that and get a plan to recover um, as long as you're communicating and being friends.
3: Absolutely. And I think also key comes to your customers as well. If you have to yeah, turn on exactly. the to your customers and you're turning it on, you're turning it literally on a dime and you're going, as you say, forfend, heaven forfend 50% off free Dell, you know, um, hammering away at your margin inform customers that that you know these products are not available on next day delivery um you can have your free delivery but it's actually going to be the three to four day window and you suspend free we do this a lot actually when we go peak and we do a hit promotion it's just to suspend even if only for 12 hours post-promotion launch suspend next day delivery um because it can really help it it stops people um hitting that next delay delivery button which then
4: has such a huge knock-on effect Absolutely,
0: that's exactly the, the method to do. Um, Fiona, um would you like a rant at all or <laughs> <laughs> anyone else while about your, you know, you've got some air time or?
2: Um, uh, I was, yeah, I think the challenge from a buying perspective is probably it's more between teams in terms of like who gets prioritized. And I guess a lot of it comes down to the planning because when it comes to the early stages, when you're planning your budgets for the next year, You know, every buyer wants to say, yeah, I can do, you know, I can do 20% better than last year. But I guess if, I don't know, the homewares team or the Christmas jumper buyers, you know, deciding to bring in 200,000 Christmas jumpers, that's obviously going to have a knock-on effect um, for other teams that they can't bring in the volume of product that they would like to. But yeah, I think it's more internal between between different teams probably when it comes to the
4: buying side.
0: And John, uh, is anything...
1: Um, yeah, I'll, has I'll just blame, I will just blame logistics. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh,
4: Everyone does.
1: <laughs> I, the, the guys have already, already answered it. It comes down to communication. So kind of from, from a marketing point of view, we can be sitting watching certain products which are becoming top sellers and transforming. And if we don't feed that back into buying teams and, and, and everybody else, then that message gets lost and, and, and vice versa. And you, you're all... You're all in the same boat, trying to run in the same direction. So as long as you communicate with each other and you're all pulling in the same direction, it can work really well. And we just see a lot of lot of times where that's not probably the case. Sometimes where these departments don't always communicate with each other, but that communication is the key. The guys absolutely nailed it.
0: Internal communications,
1: in particular. It depends who's involved. You know, if you're, if you're still using external partners for your marketing as well. You know, so quite often you can see internal communication be really good. But if you've got an agency and you don't feed that information out to the agency, you know, they're only as good as the, as the information and data that they're working with.
0: So has anybody got any sort of like anecdotal kind of like sort of like stories about sort of peak failures and peak triumphs? Is there anything, you know, we can share that, you know,
3: that... One, they, of, one of the watchfuls, just on John's point about agency marketing, one of the things I always think is really odd in certain retailers, I've been in retailers where the, you know, the the chief exec or the MD, MD doesn't want to share a whole load of information with an external agency for, I don't know, reasons of IP or data protection. My view is always share you know share as much information as you can with your external agency because actually they haven't got time to pinch a load of your data if that's what they really want to do they'll do it anyway, what you really are doing by sharing as much information with your agency as possible is enabling them to do the job that you're paying them for, and actually I've seen it so many times at peak when there is huge pressure with massive arguments between client and, and agency. And actually it's because the agency's not been allowed in a timely fashion to get the data out of the retailer. And my view is just share everything, share everything, you know, and, and give, give, you know, overshare because actually all they want to do is do a good job.
0: Okay, so I just want to just remind everybody out in the audience, if you've got any questions or any comments, please let us know, pop them in the chat box. Um, The panel's here to answer your questions for at least 20 minutes anyway. Um, But yeah, I want to come back to sort of like any sort of major peak failures that either of you've experienced in the past um, uh, or, or triumphs. I mean, Claire, have you got any anecdotes you can pick?
4: Yeah, um, obviously I'm not going to name any names. So we've obviously had the classic, we're definitely not going to do any marketing. And then uh, on the day, uh, announced three marketing campaigns and two other special projects. Um, But I think one really interesting one, which happened um, a few years ago now, it it was a carrier, it it impacted on a carrier. A retailer had booked that space, the vehicle capacity, Um, but they switched their their plan of what they were going to promote at the last minute from a product which was, let's say, yay big in a a shipping carton, which would have got, say, 8,000 units into a vehicle um, to go back to the carrier network. This sounds quite dry. Um, That takes a certain amount of time. You've got to touch 8,000 parcels. But they worked out they could use that same vehicle to promote another product, which was like this big. So they went from trying to put... 8,000 units onto a carrier vehicle to trying to put something like 36,000 units on and it really um, caused everything to fall over down the chain because the orders were so much higher that it took longer to do them, it took longer to load the carrier, the carrier then was really upset with the retailer because it then took longer to unload and reload and it flooded the network and caused delays all the way through so it's amazing how even that small thing where you think okay well I've booked the space, I've told the I've planned this all right, I can just switch this, but the small switch from a medium size to a small product um, just completely caused the, the whole supply chain, outbound supply chains to fall over. Um, I, yeah, I can't name who it was, but um, massive impact.
0: Can we guess? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't put you in the spot, I'm only joking, don't we? <laughs> probably
4: can, do. you <though. laughs>
0: probably can and if you got any sort of success stories that i think wow that's, that's gone great or is just logistics just a constant stream of headache um, <laughs> no i think
4: it's, it's always you know the, the, the things that make success are that sound really simple obviously we all know it's hard it's planning and forecasting and of course we all know that every single forecast is definitely wrong um but planning and forecasting and communications if you, you know the, where uh, where where companies work well together when you've kind of got this network where companies do have to work together the more you have of planning and forecasting, the, the, the better things will go. It's it's last minute changes and surprises that cause problems, or, or or just lack of communication at all.
0: I have one small anecdote. I remember I was working for a client again, will name namelessly, but I think I took two two tops out of the warehouse to give samples. I think it might be for an influencer or something, and getting absolutely yelled at on the phone on the way to London for messing up his entire this entire system there's two things missing on this system. You haven't Yeah, t-
4: yeah you have to have a director sign that off. But yeah. yeah. Well, I did. Very,
0: really, very bad. Was, yeah, it was <laughs> very bad, yeah. But um, John, have you got any uh, anecdotes sort of any any sort of peak failures, peak I
1: guess the, you know? the, the failures that we see each year, this still seem to keep happening each year, is when some of the big websites go down because you can't handle the traffic. So I think it happens to John Lewis every year. Uh, PC world, Curry's seem to go into a queuing system. And that, that for me is an ultimate failure because if, you, if, you're not, if, you, if you're not prepared to handle the amount of traffic and accept the amount of sales that want to hit your website, then you, you're losing out so much because, you know, if, as Google will rightly tell us, if your website takes more one second longer to load, people aren't going to hang around. We're, we're not hanging around or queuing to get into your mm-hmm. website. So I always see that as a bit of a failure. There's, we see loads of successes but i think again the successes come down to the people who plan it properly put the time in get their strategy right know what they're doing follow through and, and, and stick to it
0: so that issue you're talking about there really is, is what what marketing not speaking to e-com and it really and the it guy is not speaking to the servers and is, is, is that just an internal communications thing then do you think or
1: Probably, but at this point, I would I would assume common sense might kick in at some point. And they would know that this was going to happen at this time of the year, but it probably does come down to communications. And it could also come down to failures as well. I mean, we've seen, you've seen cloud networks and another server and hosting providers going down. It wasn't that long ago, well, maybe a couple of months ago, we felt like the whole internet went down because one, one, uh, one service failed and everybody's website seemed to go offline.
0: Yeah, we're very interdependent, aren't we, at the moment, I think. Um, Hilary or Fiona, have you got any, any sort of like anecdotes or things that, failures or triumphs you'd like to share? But if you don't, don't worry about it. If you do, it'd be I'll great.
2: No, oh, I, don't. Don't. Yeah, I guess the, the big thing is like, if you can be in stock, you know, in a really good line, you know, in peak trading, like for one of the big retailers I've worked for, you could sell 100,000 units in a week, you know, so...
0: Good for your bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry, do you want to add or not?
3: I had a great experience when I was, um, this is not, well, this was just outside of the apparel industry, but yet the experience is fashion related. Just when I was at Getting Personal, where I was, I did a project as interim marketing director there, they're a, they're a gift retailer. But it was the first year, about 10 years ago, when Christmas jumpers became a thing. And we'd ordered like 100,000 units of Christmas jumpers. Um, and we'd got a price set and we knew the margin and it was going to be great guns. And... Um, What arrived on the container was absolutely not what we'd ordered. Um, And um, it... (laughs) We don't, there was still, it wasn't clear even post Christmas exactly how the cock up had happened. Um, And what we'd got was about 50,000 units of what what we we had ordered. Um, So that was fine. And we were able to sell some of it, but about 50,000 units of um, some um, sweaters with profanity on them. Obviously, we. (laughs) The the profanity did relate to festive profanity, but, um, and I'm not going to say what it was, but anyway, um, we weren't able to sell those sweaters. (laughs)
0: i've heard a few of those stories actually some I've, i won't mention names but i've heard some uh highly offensive uh graphics being accidentally printed onto t-shirts and stuff like that yeah that's that's um uh, i think that's one for the pr team eventually isn't it i think ultimately but um i just wanted to go around you all just and think obviously in regards to this year then this this year's quarter obviously we have spoke about lots of lots you know from a trends point of view things have you know it's been quite abnormal from a logistics point of view it's been quite abnormal what if if you're all in charge of all your respective businesses then what are you what would your tips be to the audience now to get prepared if you can I'm going to come to clear on that so what would you ideally like to see some of your clients have in place for um issues you know um
4: so i mean i i'm speaking purely from the back end so not necessarily yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah. uh infrastructure but for us starting marketing campaigns early and, and smoothing them out so you're know, making sure that the end user would know a customer would know that this I, we're going to be doing this for two weeks or something like that just to kind of yeah you know, and i think most people do now they mostly start their marketing campaigns but let's say a week or, or five days before black friday just to smooth it out and also to get in ahead of other people um so starting things early um and yeah planning and making sure that you, you've got forecast in so that you can basically the, the whole supply chain can work out what capacity it needs to manage the business uh in, in and the it it early will.
0: early is now or, or should we even be doing
4: uh we now? have asked all of our clients for their forecast already we don't expect mm-hmm. all of them to reply <laughs> um right. but in terms of when i'm talking about marketing early I, i'm thinking about you know yeah communicating to 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 the market um from the beginning of november and certainly going to any promotions um before the, the 27th so on the 20th or the 22nd
0: and john i'll come to you on this one As next yeah what would you like you know what's your tips for, for sort of economy businesses and more retail businesses out there what would you like to see them have in place to sort of deal with this this quite unusual
1: yeah seems clear plan early have you have your strategy ready because really we should be kicking these things from around about now but i think one of the things we like to do is go back and look at what we did last year because there'll be things we did wrong be mm-hmm. things that we did right so we can understand both because it's it, they're equally important to understand and you, you really want to accelerate all the things that you did right try not to go mm-hmm. too early into your discounting try and 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 wait until the the right time, not just follow because other competitors have have dived into their discounting. Uh, A big thing for us around Google Shopping is is looking at a full analysis of your Google Merchant Center, making sure that all your products have a chance to be visible. You're getting rid of any disapprovals. You don't have any suspensions hanging over your head because we've seen that over the last couple of years. Just as the Black Friday weekend kicks in, clients getting suspended and staying suspended for three or four days, especially as you know Black Friday lands on a weekend, Google aren't going to review your account over the weekend. So you've pretty much lost out on that. So there's a lot of little things to just get your ducks in a row, check. A big thing that always, always works really well for us is, is building audiences in analytics that you can tie back to your Google Ads campaigns. And it's audiences around people who bought from me last year, but audiences from people who might be repeat buyers, audiences who've bought a certain size of basket, a certain size of category, and putting all that data back into Google Shopping as well. All all of these things really help. But again, it does just come back to you know the earlier you start, the better prepared you are. And you know, Hillary made the point it's not just all about Black Friday and cyber weekend sales. It's about quarter four. And for fashion and apparel, you know your large your whole, you know, the largest portion of your yearly revenue is going to be made up in quarter four
0: we also forgot to mention thanksgiving earlier didn't we because that falls into quarter four doesn't it um am i right or
1: not it, well thanksgiving follows black friday doesn't it? it's usually yeah. Okay. So that's, oh, of
4: course that's, yeah yeah it's, yeah it's the same thing
0: Excuse me. I'll, I'll edit, edit that out before we publish on YouTube. <laughs> um, I've got a question here from Beth. Um, I think it might be aimed at you, John, but if you communicate to up-and-coming promotions too early to your audience, could you could that not cause a drop-off in sales as people wait?
1: Uh, so I'm just reading that again. If you communicate with up-and-coming promotions too early... Uh, <sighs> If, if you go too early, my, my main issue with going too early is that you sell too much stuff, too much of your product at discount, and it doesn't leave you with a lot when you go full price again, because more and more what we get to about Black Friday is when people shopping in Black Friday, the more so shopping for themselves and looking for discounts for themselves, the gift buying comes afterwards, and we spend more on, on gifts than we do tend to spend on ourselves. So I'm always conscious just about not missing out on that, that full price opportunity. And
0: Fiona, yeah. I'd like to get you off. Sorry, Claire, do you want to come in on that? I was gonna say that
4: suggestion came from me because I was thinking of it from a logistics point of view. Obviously, the, the truth is that everybody's competing for market share. So it is about timing, but I do think that most people are going uh, with their promos mostly about Monday before Black Friday. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um I just wanted to get Fiona's thoughts on discounting is it can can you chip in on that a little bit because obviously i imagine you're very mar- margin focused with what you do but what are your thoughts about the whole discounting thing in q4 i,
2: I mean i think from a buyer's perspective it's always kind of crushing when you've got best selling lines you know and then all of a sudden there's a blanket discount applied and it's kind of like you're giving away your best sellers when you know when you don't need to because you could sell them at full price but it's it's the difficulty. The difficulty from a marketing perspective is obviously how do you pull those out and separate them. So it kind of just needs to be blanketed. Um, that's the biggest frustration I'd say from a buyer's perspective.
0: Okay. Um, another question as well. I to ask you: um, How many of you actually work to critical paths, and how many sort of e-commerce businesses that you worked with actually has like a, a shared critical path with all the key dates and, and anybody
2: across different teams?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Um, Well, I mean, I I presume every business works to a critical path. I mean, obviously, a buying critical path is probably different to, um, we would use, the critical path that we would use would be solely just for our teams. We wouldn't share them with um, different functions across the business.
0: Hilary, have you ever worked in that where there's a shared sort of like calendar or quick path that, that everybody gets to see? I've tried before now
3: to um, to do a whole business wide one, but it's unless it's a really small business, it's you just can't. And I know that's Nirvana, but I've never I've never been able to work like that. We tried at Shop Direct to have like a business wide critical path. That's the very group, and it never worked. But in marketing, we always work to a critical path because dates are so important. You know, if you're trying to lock down influencers for a campaign, if you don't know the critical path you're working to, you'll never get that sorted ahead of peak, for example. So that's so early these days now because they all want to tie up their income so all those things you've got to have your critical path
1: yeah I completely agree i think one of the dates we haven't mentioned is the last postal date as well
3: very true of
1: how how critical it is to get that right yeah.
3: and tell your customers tell your customers what it is as well and make yeah. it really clear that is when we're stopping because that can create havoc if you don't
4: yeah, and, and I think because there's no such thing as one last posting date, of course, especially when you're shipping internationally. So you've got, again, you've got a cascade of them. So you're, you're the, the last week before Christmas, uh, right up to the day before Christmas Eve would be your next day domestics. Um, but yeah, we that that should be issued to to the retailers now. So yeah, you know, the carriers are starting to communicate that kind of information now, um, and so you, the retailers can communicate it to their customers from probably November onwards.
0: Okay, uh, well we're well into our last quarter now and um, we've got just under 10 minutes to go, so if you've got any other questions out there guys, please um, let us know, um, also immediately after this, uh, there's a link in the chat box, you're more than welcome to join us for a little bit of a post networking session. Um, I think all our speakers will be there for clear Um, and we'll be there for about 15-20 minutes if you just want to join us in a little breakout room and have a little bit of an informal chat if you like um, in the normal circumstances or if we were running a real live event we'd probably say meet you at the bar we'll have some canates and stuff like that but um, I just sort of uh, and this is no other questions I just wanted to just get a bit of a sort of a future bit of a futurology session now for about 5-10 minutes about where you see sort of like peak season peak season going in the next few years to come and whether this whole Covid pandemic thing has, has, has changed things for the better or for the worse um, Hilary I think I might come to you on that first if that's okay
3: I think so obviously pandemic Christmas 2020 December last year was a bit weird and I think families wanted to really feel that sense of connection with at least in themselves and they therefore battened down the hatches early and just feels you know things like scented candles went bonkers from September last year because everybody wanted that kind of feeling of being at home and comfy I wonder whether that that will happen this year I think people definitely want to celebrate but it's obviously going to be going much more about um, it's going to be focused much more on going out rather than staying in which I think is interesting from an apparel context um, and also if you're in the business of scented candles because I don't think those sort of things will sell as well. I think post I think so I think going out will be huge this year but I do think going into 2022 I wonder because I think actually some chickens may start to come home to roost at that point point. and I think although there will be some people who aren't indebted there will be plenty of people who are hugely indebted and are starting to have to pay off big um, pandemic related bills you know we already know that the country is going to have to pay off big pandemic related bills and old Rishi, um, Rishi Sunak's having to look at that but I wonder that 2022 is going to be perhaps a bit more of a spartan Christmas than 2021 I I, I would hypothesize.
0: John?
1: Sorry did you say John? Yeah <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> yeah I, again I, I agree with Hilary I think uh they, we are gonna, we're gonna get to enjoy Christmas out this year. I'm I, not a betting man, but I don't think we'll end up in another lockdown, not the way the government want to go. But I think what will be interesting this year is we will see a lot more e-commerce. Well, sorry, commerce flow back to retail, and we still expect e-commerce to grow a little bit this year, but not as much as what it grew last year. But I think ultimately. We're not going to go back to what we were. I think there's been a lot of habits formed in the sense that people are happy to shop online, especially in the the older demographics, which was the biggest growth demographics we saw over the last year. So I don't think there'll be a huge rush to go back to retail. I think e-commerce will continue to flourish, but we're definitely not going to see that huge amount of growth that we saw last year. It'll be a lot smaller growth, but we will still see year-on-year growth.
0: How do you see things panning out,
1: Claire? Um, yeah, I think next. the same.
4: Obviously, um, the last year and this year are probably not years to, uh, to use the historical data um, in the future, um, because they've been so crazy and unpredictable. But I, I, I wonder whether that will continue in a way that the unpredictability will continue um, while we, if we stabilise. Uh, obviously, there was always the trend um, away from bricks and mortar towards online. And covid accelerated it and yet my mum did learn how to shop and she's now happy shopping online and she so she won't go back um i so i think i do think that will continue um i think that uh from a logistics point of view um we will we'll we'll start to see more automation i guess that's the big trend so we'll start to see a lot more um things happening in slightly differently we're we're going to continue to see shifts and changes as well because of brexit and that kind of thing so yeah i think more online um more unpredictability for a year or two and, and automation I mean, in, all, in all different kinds of ways through the process
0: how do you see things pan out
4: uh, I
2: next, guess next I think from a buying and sourcing perspective, I feel like the challenges that all of these circumstances are creating is really creating a push for people to want to source products closer to home. And although the manufacturing capacities may not be here, I feel like that's slowly going to change and that people, and obviously with Brexit as well, there's a huge push towards um, manufacturing in the UK. So I can see that slowly starting, definitely. And it's something I think people as well are more willing to, to invest, um, you know, to spend more and to trade up with the whole sustainability movement as well. So I think that in itself is kind of creating a push towards um, sourcing closer to home to keep people's carbon footprint down as well.
0: And then this is a question to whoever wants to pick it up. What, what Has there been any sort of valuable learnings over the last 12 months, do you think? Um, or was it just a little bit, just a little, the dust hasn't quite settled yet? Huh? what's oh, gone but has there been any valuable lessons? do you think
2: the biggest thing is planning really i think i mean whatever about planning under a traditional retail environment if ever it's become like it's just so important now that like and i think the difficulty is planning and then trading at the same time because normally you're kind of planning in the down season but at the moment you have to plan even earlier so you're almost like in spring summer or the end of spring summer and you're starting to plan for autumn winter 22, um, so it's just having to plan way further
4: in advance. That's been the biggest learning.
0: Um, anybody else clear?
4: Yeah, I think um from the supply chain side, you know, we've spent 20 30 years um as a the fashion industry and the supply chain industry working together to kind of get that just in time everything. The you know, fast fashion was such a big trend for a while. Um, I think we've realised now that that. That approach has given us no contingency, so we need to build in a, something a bit slower, probably a bit more sustainable, uh, uh, and build in some contingency so that uh, when things do go wrong, yeah, we've got stock in the stores that can tide us over rather than stocking out, and um, and we've got capacity to, to cope with with what we call redundancy, building redundancy into the supply chain, whereas before we were just cutting it out because we were focused on cost, 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 reducing the cost and uh, keeping everything lean we've we've seen what what that ha- what, what happens when you're lean and you have an emergency you, you, you end up having to cut to the bone so I think we'll, we'll have a different approach of, um, perhaps a more cautious approach to, to supply chain
0: I think the, the whole supply chain thing over the last 12 months has been absolutely fascinating <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. fascinating I never knew anything about containers I didn't even think about containers for me containers was just we went if you were in Croydon or Box Park or something, that's it. Then there yeah. was that boat that got stuck in the canal, yeah. yep. which I believe that that's did the, not help. That did not help. you know. <laughs> really but uh, but um, yeah. I uh, used to Hil- measure
4: containers in how many handbags you could get into containers, but now yeah, now it's a very different thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Hilary, is there any learnings from your point of view over the last 12 months? Or?
3: Just on, on containers and handbags. I think probably I have mm-hmm. got containers worth of handbags um just just to myself actually I was just reflecting upon that and thinking I wonder if I could fill a container with my own handbags and I reckon I probably could um but that's an aside I think one of my big learnings um is about around influencers and you know the pandemic they thought they were going to lose their trade and that people weren't going to buy and then suddenly the influencer realized actually um people are at home they're on their social way way more than they ever were and so influencers space has been somewhat transformed and you know their prices are going up all the time and and you know two three years ago people were predicting the end of you know influencer-based marketing well I'm not seeing it and they're all bringing out their own ranges now because they can see that well why on earth would I use a retailer to sell my range and compromise margin when I can do it myself and Mm. and I think that's fascinating in terms of an economic disruption and and I think that actually that trend will continue the influencer sort of model of bringing out their own ranges I think that will only continue and grow.
0: And, and also some of the influencers actually becoming retailers themselves.
3: Well, yeah, so you just. look at, you know, you look at them and I don't, I totally get it. Why why on earth would you as an influencer compromise your margin and only make, I don't know, 40 percent on commission or some kind of deal when actually you could make 70 percent if you did it yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm seeing loads of influencers going into that that model now. And the ticket price of most influencers has doubled since. Um, the start of the pandemic when things did shift downwards and now the clock is very the, the pendulum has swung back right the other way um, and some of the bigger influencers, you know that are talking amazing crisis to do to do campaigns with them um, and I just think that's a really fascinating direct consumer model.
0: Well watch this space you might see a webinar about all of that, that influencer retailing. <laughs> John can yeah. um, have the last sorry I'm just conscious of time here Hillary because we're at three so uh, John is there any learnings you'd like to share with You've had a no, lot of
1: you, probably just, you could probably do a webinar just on all the things that we have learned. I mean, I think we've <laughs> learned, you know, how, how fragile things can be, how much things can change, uh, how quickly things can shift, certainly towards e-commerce. But yeah, I think once the dust settles a little bit, we'll be able to kind of summarize that a lot better. But yeah, I think we, we, we had no idea how fragile some of the supply chain would be how challenging these periods would be, how amazing some companies have managed to do during this pandemic and really play to, it, play to its strengths and how some companies have been utterly decimated by it. So,
0: Well, thank you very much um, to all the panelists, uh, John, uh, Dan, not Dan, Claire,
4: um,
0: Fiona, and Hilary. They'd be delighted if you could join us, if you just click on that link in the chat box, we'll have a little bit of a debrief, and if any of the audience wants to join us, it'd be great if you can join us in there for a cup of tea and a quick chit-chat for 15, 20 minutes. So um, round of applause to you all. I'm I'm sure people are clapping, but you can't hear it. But um, if I just ask you then just to switch your cams and stuff off, and I'll see you in the other room. And thank you, everybody else uh, in the audience for listening to this. I'll see you in the other room. Bye-bye.